and welcome back to Digital Health Unplugged. You are listening to our first episode for 2021, and here's hoping that this year is just a little bit better than last year. Although having said that, while 2020 was absolutely rubbish in so many ways, it was also a pretty good year for health tech. We had to go digital, so a lot of barriers were broken down and a lot of organisations were able to do several years' work in what was essentially several months. But the big question is, will that progress continue in 2021? So we've called on some experts to tell us what they think will be big ticket items for NHSIT this year. We have several members of our digital health networks joining us today. On the call, we have Dr. Simon Eccles, NHSX's CCIO and also a member of our CCIO advisory panel. Very good morning. We have Catherine Dampney, Director of BI Innovation and Transformation at NHS South, Central and West, and also a member of our CIO advisory panel. Good morning, Andrea. We have Adrian Byrne, CIO at University Hospital Southampton NHS Foundation Trust and Chair of our CIO network. Good morning, Andrea. And we also have with us John Hoeksma, our Editor-in-Chief here at Digital Health. Hi, Andrea. Nice to be back again. It's nice to have you all on the call with me um, to do some crystal ball gazing for 2021. I do really hope that some of these predictions are positive and exciting because, to be honest, I'm done with doom and gloom now. I've had enough for the rest of my life, I think. So let's get straight down to it, shall we? Um, Simon, I'd like to start with you, if that's okay. What do you think are going to be the biggest health tech trends we will see this year? It's Yes, it's always a, a tricky one. I hope we'll see... Um, a real follow-on from the progress we made last year. So um, what I mean by that is, as everybody's aware, we had a huge push to remote consultations. Um, and I, I'm really keen that that doesn't slide back. There's a happy medium. I'm not suggesting every consultation should be remote. But for, for many people, this has been a real advance. It's allowed clinicians to work better from home. It's allowed patients to receive the right level of care without necessarily needing to go into um, a bricks and mortar uh, organization and pay the parking charges and everything else. And, and I'm, I'm keen that that doesn't um, slide back too far. Just to continue that for a moment, I'm also hoping that we'll see a real upswing in video consultation. I appreciate some people are, are, are slightly wary of that. It doesn't fit for, for every setting. But as we've seen, particularly during the lockdown period in people's social lives, there's a, a real drive towards VC rather than just telephone. It adds a richness and a personal level uh, to, to interaction. And I'm keen to see that come into healthcare as well. Mm. I think 2020 also kind of, um, I think it raised a lot of patients' fears about these kind of technologies, didn't they? Because I think there was a bit of apprehension before, whereas now, because they've used them, they've probably realised it's not as scary as they first thought. Uh, yes, but both, both patients and those treating them. Um, yeah, of course. We have seen in, in some fairly specific areas, for example, in, in mental health, we've actually seen a preference for remote consultation for many patients, that they can remain in the comfort of their own home uh, without the sort of anxiety inducing trip into um, a, a, a hospital or a clinic. Uh, in order to get their consultation. And that's really suited them. I'm not saying it's right for everybody. And we've got to make sure that those who aren't digital natives are well looked after. But these have been some brilliant advances. Mm. Catherine, how about you? What do you think are going to be the biggest trends this year? Um, 
I, I'm actually I'm going to build a little bit more on what Simon's saying, particularly with the focus in primary care, because I think there is going to be a real focus for um, the change and development of primary care services this year as we move more towards integration and particularly thinking about integration with social care as well. But the I would say that it's not just about remote consultations. I think there's a whole channel shift mm. in the way that people are thinking about interacting with primary care. So we've seen the rise of 111 first. Um, we're looking at more people, not just real-time remote consultation, but non-real-time interactions. People are realizing that there's a whole sector of us out there that just have a quick question we want answering. We don't need a 10-minute consultation with the clinician. And I think there's a, that that's what I would really like to see, that building on that, people are more confident in using this technology, more confident for using it for interactive with healthcare. I'm going to say the dreaded words here, but Babylon Health for a <laughs> lot of us is probably the way to go. Um, and, and I think we'll see the rise of that, which will will be give us some really interesting challenges and developments in 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 thinking about digital going forward. So that's my prediction. Adrian, how about you? So yeah, good morning. Um, I absolutely um, support all of those points about building on what we've achieved this year and uh, doing more virtual activity, bringing telephone across the video, etc., and channel shift. Um, I also think that we have to bear in mind that um, we've done a lot of this under emergency conditions, really. Um, you know, I've heard a, a crazy tale of someone using their laptop on top of an ironing board, for example. So when, you know, we talk about the new normal, which is a phrase that I really dislike, but uh, nonetheless, uh, here, here we are. Um, I, I think we need to normalise more of the more of the activity as as a business as usual operation, and actually take account of the conditions people are working in. Because you know, in future, you know, we won't always be in an emergency. So, um, for example, in our hospital at the moment, we're converting a lot of rooms that were offices into consultation space uh, for clinics um, because the the old places that we used to do the face-to-face -face activity are probably not the kind of places that we'd want to do virtual activity. Um, so quite a lot needs to happen, I think, to normalise this. Uh, I think we need to bring in new uh, human resources policies. Uh, we need to sort out properly um, uh, whether people uh, have the compensations for working at home and the adjustments made. And silly things like you know, we're still responsible for their workstation assessment. And I, I mentioned the ironing board. So there's a, there's a lot to do. And I, I think we can convert a state as well. We can we can actually see uh, we haven't yet focused on cash releasing benefits from all of this, but we need to look at whether we can uh, release a state uh, and uh, effectively use that to pay for some of the, the things that we're investing in. I think um, just moving on to some of the other things, you know, that I think will will become more mainstream. Uh, people are now talking about something called patient-initiated follow-up. We've been doing something called patient-triggered follow-up for a, a quite a while now. So um, it's not new to us, but the concept of patients now um, being virtually 
treated in certainly in follow-up situations and not coming back to organizations unless uh, they really need to and that where they trigger the appointment um, I think that that will become a mainstream activity um, I think we'll also as a result of that or possibly alongside it get into more patient monitoring we're already seeing some of that now where patients who would otherwise be in hospital are being monitored at home so yeah support what other people are saying really big channel shift mm. It also sounds like it's things that aren't necessarily big, shiny and new, but they're things that are so necessary in order to help the NHS work in a more efficient way and also save clinicians time, but also make it easier for patients to access services. Because um, as you said, driving in sometimes or going into an appointment is not always the best thing for a patient. Um, but do you think there are going to be any big, shiny new things coming through in 2021? Can I come in on this one Predictions for 2021, um, I, th I think they fall into two categories. I think on the positive, um, there's a lot that has happened, which is basically kind of um, best described as as our shared lived experience of digital. And I think that has fundamentally changed um, during the course of 2020. Simon spoke to it, Catherine spoke to it, Aid spoke to it. Um, it's the, the experience we have all had of um, video consultations, video calls, in health and our personal life, um, that whole kind of remote working that so many of us, but not all of us, of course, um, have um, spent chunks of last year doing. And I think that that experience also is that it is possible to achieve remarkable amounts of, of change on digital very, very quickly. I think, um, you know, all of us remember in the past, the NHS has sometimes been ultra cautious um, about introducing um, new systems um, and being very careful and be very kind of concerned about IG and 2020 showed that you can still still kind of be aware of those concerns but can actually move much more quickly so that, that's positive and I think we'll see a lot more on um, shifts to virtual care um, I think remote monitoring um, all of these kind of um, areas um, are, are, are potential for the coming year on the negative, I think 2021 is going to be um, another year of exciting Brexit fudge and um, and confusion, which is going to have um, a bad effect on the economy. Um, and, and I fear that as we begin to kind of um, see the light at the end of the tunnel on the pandemic, we have the most god-awful post-Christmas um, hangover coming um, ever. The public finances are going to be such an appalling state um, that the government will have to pay some attention to that. Now, I hope that um, NHS will still um, still be top of the list for investment, um, but the, the wider kind of um, economic outlook looks, looks horrific. Those are my predictions. <laughs> that wasn't as cheery as I was expecting, John. <laughs> can, can I add one more cheery one? Of course. Actually, I, th I think it's cheery, and I, I think we, we need we need to give this a, some air start time. I think we need to think about artificial intelligence mm. um, in the health service, and I know that you know NHSX are looking at this really hard now. And I know when well, you've seen something that's coming, some of the stuff that's coming out of the diagnostic and imaging, there is some amazing potential there, um, and some fantastic power that I think we could harness as, as part of sort of this digital revolution. 
But to quote my favourite, one of my favourite movies, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. And to make this work, I think we now need to be really, really standing up the um, ethical approach to it, the transparent approach to it. um, And, you know, the very, very clear and quality communication with the public about what we could do with this technology but how we make sure that it is working in their benefit and we don't put something in there that is going to um, destroy trust or damage trust in any any way with the NHS and how we use it because otherwise we'll just lose that opportunity. Uh, thank you Catherine I, I, I um, very much agree with that and um, I'm with you that that uh, Indra and colleagues here in NHSX have been working very hard on this. And indeed, we're publishing guidance that's now being used internationally on best practice and ethics for the introduction of machine learning and uh, AI in in healthcare. And I think the the very phrase AI sounds scary. Um, And uh, what we're actually trying to do is pretty... It's not ordinary because it's really clever stuff, but but the, the idea of a tool that can look through scans and be very certain with a very high degree of specificity and sensitivity that a scan is normal and then leave the rest to a human being to look at is brilliant. The workload reduction is significant. And the second order is in, in particularly in, in cancer follow up that the machine learning is really good at volume detection. So whether a, a growth, uh, sorry, a tumour has, has grown or changed morphology, again, the AI is very good. Um, and the bit that gets very, very exciting for me, and I do hope we'll see soon, is in some fields, both CT and MR, we're now beginning to see um, the machine learning that can look at very subtle gradations of, of, of change in penetration or, or um, uh, so so that we don't need to administer the large volumes of contrast that we used to give people or we kind of currently still give people in order to better determine anatomy and function and if that comes good there's a there's a phenomenal citizen benefit in terms of reduction of contrast reactions uh, better preservation of renal function and, and so on and so by by starting with almost the soft stuff, we see the introduction of machine learning improve safety and reduce the burden on clinicians. Will it be 2021? I think it will in some of the major centres. I don't think it'll become widespread during this year, um, but I hope it will uh, next and following years. Yeah, it's been interesting isn't it? how, how, um, the, how the, the, the emphasis has changed, I think. I think I've seen this anyway in artificial intelligence between when they used to look for abnormal. And, and what you said there is uh, very much an emphasis on screening out the normals and leaving, because I think it's somewhat easier to teach a machine what normal looks like than what abnormal might look like. And I, I believe that's the reason for it, but there's a change of emphasis there. Isn't there? I think um, if you look at, you know, the, the whole sort of, I mean, artificial intelligence, you can, you can get quite, sort of snobbish, can't you, about the definition of artificial intelligence. I thought, so, well, that's not artificial intelligence. It's a bit like Fred Truman sort of commentating on the cricket years ago. You say, well, that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't a fact ball, you know. But um, it's, um, 
it's interesting how you know machine learning is now sort of taking over in terms of the the common dialogue about artificial intelligence i think and, and i think you're just going to see a lot more automation and you know and the question about is there anything new and shiny i don't think any of this is new and shiny but um you're definitely going to see a rise in the use of uh, machine learning for automating and around the um the kind of uh, things like automated coding you'll see uh, a lot more around around analytics as well of the data and I, I think what we've seen through covid there's been a rise in the use of analytics for things like modeling um certainly in the public eye that you know the charts we've all seen produced on screens about modeling the future and i don't know if you're aware of the work that ben goldacre has been doing with um with the data uh, out mostly out of primary care systems but the concept of creating new risk factors for for disease out of the analytics i think that's come a long way in the last um 12 months and, and i think that they will build on on that as a platform now I, I think that we've got more of an acceptance of sharing that data for research at least i think i hope we have i think we've demonstrated that we can do it safely we've probably got one of the best resources if not the best resource in the world for that kind of thing so i think we'll see more of that well simon i couldn't have you on the podcast without asking you uh, what the big plans for nhsx are this year are you able to give us a sneak peek on some of the things that the organization will be working on um, so following um, just for, from, from Aid's comments uh, there on some of the things we want to carry through from, from last year into this year, I think that that uh, much better use of, uh, of data and analytics will be part of it. Um, and that's been a very powerful um, run over for, from, from coronavirus. There's a, as you know, the NHS has always been hungry for, for, for more data, but we've seen clinicians for, for you know, for the last decades spending significant proportion of their time recording information that frankly doesn't need a clinician to do so i think we'll see much more ro robotic process automation uh, come in and our productivity team in nhsx uh, uh, um, i think going to really take off this year with work to link pharmacists optometrists and dentists into into more mainstream practice and ensure two-way flow of information robotic process automation as i've just mentioned and others of those efficiency drives. The other very big change I hope for uh, for, for this year um, is that both centrally and locally, we will see digital clinical improvement and transformation brought together and seen as all part of the same, the same piece of the jigsaw. Mm -hmm. I think in, in many organisations and for a while in, in, in the centre, they have been seen as separate things. And I'm very much hoping they will absolutely come together because there's almost no service transformation one can undertake now that isn't effectively underpinned by the best of digital technology. Mm. Do you think the fact that we had to go digital very quickly in 2020 has improved people's trust in the process and will help streamline you know, bringing those three together because we've obviously used it previously and now there's a bit more of a um, more accepting attitude, I guess, towards digital services? Um, yes, yes, though it, it, it's a, it's a double-edged sword. So absolutely, there's now a level of expectation and boldness that I don't think we saw before. Uh, you did this during coronavirus, so can you can you do it again? Um, 
the, the, the flip side of that is that we have seen uh, an expectation of timetables that may work in an emergency um, setting or, 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 or time period, but probably aren't what one would want to do in steady state. So there needs to be a bit of decompression at the beginning of this year from, from everything having to be done within 48 hours or, or two weeks to some, some slightly more normalised timescales, but without sliding back to any change takes two years uh, just to incept. Yeah, Simon, I just wanted to kind of ask you about that. So in terms of, um, of you know, an awful lot's been achieved in, in emergency kind of um, situation. Is it your sense that there's um, there's been an accumulation of um, of interoperability, technical, um, adjust kind of debts that will have to be kind of um, gone back to? So you know some of the systems put in were put in kind of very quickly, um, strictly short term. Some of those contracts are now up for renewal. Do you think inevitably there's going to be have to be you know some revisiting of that just to kind of um, just to tidy things up? Well, I'm, I'm hoping one of the very big pushes for, for this year will absolutely be on standards and interoperability. Um, we're seeing a, a major drive towards um, integrated care systems as the basic unit of currency on, on the NHS, and therefore integration between primary care, community care, mental health and acute is going to be vital. And you know, for someone like Aid in Southampton, this, this, this may be pretty normal, but we're aware of some brilliant high-functioning areas of the country with really good systems in that don't yet talk to each other as well as they might. So it, it will be uh, super vital to get that right. I'm hoping that won't all be waiting for instructions from the centre, and we've seen that in many bits of the country. I want to learn from, from, from the best doing this and make sure we then spread that everywhere. We are the right place to do some of the liaison with the, with the big providers and make sure that the standards we're using are therefore applicable to everybody. So I have a question for, for everyone now. Um, so feel free to take this one, uh, whoever has the answer first. Um, <laughs> what if, if you could pick one thing that we learned in 2020 about digital to bring forward into 2021, what would it be? Be brave. Oh, very quick, Simon. That's good. <laughs> Catherine, how about you? Um, I would love to see and consolidate the um, progress we made when we invoked the COPE rules in terms of sharing data and suddenly freeing up um, the, and, uh, the appropriate and still safe, but effective and far sharing of data. So, you know, what what we could turn around with that, I think, you know, we're work, operating under emergency rules now. I think that needs to be really thought through. Um, maybe there's some place for it in the ICS primary care legislation, if any of the government office are listening, um, <laughs> that, that really could be built on because we, we made some stunning achievements there. And I think we could really build on that. I'm thinking in Bristol, working with the Bristol teams when we were right at the beginning of this crisis, putting risk assessment scores um, that the analysts and the clinical senate had worked on into um alongside the care records just to give people an idea of you know when they were treating patients about their vulnerabilities stuff like that was just incredibly empowering and i would like to keep that sense of empowerment mm. 
eight how about you yeah so you know have we learned anything i i think we've we've probably demonstrated what we already knew to to a wide audience um so being being given a mandate to do things has been great and i agree with simon um be brave but i, I think we've also um learned a lot about people's abilities and we've learned that really we need to progress digital literacy across uh, our workforce and the general public i think whilst we could talk about great things happening and they have um we've also seen a yawning gap between people who are good at this and people who struggle uh, both on an individual level and and at an organizational level so for example at an organizational level if you require paper to run your clinic you're not going to do that from your home very successfully so that you know we still need to do some transformational change within organizations uh, around those kind of things but then the, the digital literacy uh, we found that we're supporting people on uh, home, broad, home broadband issues for example um, and we really need to do a lot more uh, through training um, and through making time available to people um, implementing some of the changes that we've talked about previously through topol review etc um, to bring people up to speed on this stuff so that you know they, they can actually maximize the benefits out of the investments that we've been forced to make actually mm. john i'm sure you you've got something to say here <laughs> um it's so I agree with Simon. I think be brave is is really kind of um, important, clear message. And I think if you look at the kind of um, at the sort of aspirations that were in the long term um, plan, which now seems remarkably kind of um, long time ago, um, they look positively timid um, compared to what what has been achieved. So I think there is a urgent need to revisit digitally um, underpinned aspirations for health and care and be much bolder. So I think that that's one for 2021. And I know that NHSX is working on, on, a, on a new strategy, which, which hopefully will reflect some of that. Um, I think it's also, though, hugely important to, to not completely kind of um, um, confuse what was an emergency response um, and the digital tools used for that with the wider, longer term digital transformation of health and care, a lot of which just takes um, time and is cumulative year on, year on year. So I think one of the positives that, that happened in 2020, which didn't perhaps get as much airtime from us and others as, a, as it should have done, was um, work with um, aspirants, the money that's gone into um, further provided digitization and efforts, particularly um, those that were less digitally mature. And, and I hope that 2021 is going to see a lot of focus from everyone on how you bootstrap up um, the um, less digitally mature health and care um, economies across the country. Um, and that will require investment. So all of the good stuff, um, all of the kind of brave new horizons that kind of um, um, COVID-19 has helped kind of um, focus on, but not forgetting the the kind of bootstrapping um, those many parts of the NHS that still need a lot of help. My hope for this year is that I actually have the time to cover that kind of news because it's been, <laughs> 2020 was very busy on the editorial side and I would like to write about something that's not COVID related. Can I just 
build on Catherine's answer about the the, the coping notice and the IG, um, because I think this is this is important in that we the, we did pass um, the, the the coping notice and and therefore change our approach to data. But if one looks back at last year and the actual movements of data that resulted from that, I doubt there was a single thing in there that people would be surprised at, that that wasn't what they thought was happening anyway. That is to say, it took the pandemic and our response to it to, to move to a situation that most people would think of as pretty normal. And... We need to get to a situation this year in which data for population health, for public health, is just seen as routine. This is not a secondary use or an alternative use of data. This is part of what we have the NHS for. And the data needed in order to plan and anticipate care and to audit the quality of care we provide is, again, part of the routine practice of a healthcare system and needs to be treated like that. And, and I think that's incredibly powerful. We've published our IG guidance, which has been very well received, and we want to build on that this year to make sure every system is best able to understand from its own data what, what it needs, you know, how it's doing now and what it needs to do next. I couldn't agree with more with you, Simon. It has been, like, as I say, it, it, it is critical and it should be part of the new normal. Mm-hmm. Well, Unfortunately, we are very fast running out of time. Um, this happens every time we record a podcast. We've got too much well, to say. Well, I probably need the ironing board back soon. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just wanted to wrap it up with one last question um, and kind of sticking with our fortune telling theme. If you could have one wish granted and you could have anything you wanted for NHS IT in 2021, what would it be? Andrew, if I'm allowed a, a wish for, for this year, um, of course. A, a single thing, and I hope I'm not being desperately unrealistic here. I would love digital medicine standards that means every medication message is completely interoperable across the system so that you no longer try and find a locally res- um, stored copy of Mrs. Smith's medicines or indeed bring her GP in and hope you've transcribed them correctly. Um, but we get to a point where those messages are completely free flowing. And if that happens, we may even build on it to touch on some of the earlier themes of our conversation, that now the message about why someone's on that medicine, what the indication was for starting it, what the indication may be for adjusting its dose, and when we intend to stop it, are routinely recorded alongside that. And we actually allow patient citizens to understand everything that we're we're asking them to take uh, by way of medication. And that concept of empowering people that this is theirs uh, to understand would be incredibly powerful for, for this year if we could do it. Do you think that's doable in a year, Simon? Um, you, you were giving me my my wish. Uh, <laughs> no whole class for 2021. Um, we didn't say it was absolutely happening. There's no pressure there, Simon. Don't worry. <laughs> can, I, can, I have a, can I have a fairy godmother wish for... <laughs> as well if we go if we're going into this territory then because i um i think i think my wish is for i know that you know last year in 2020 that there was an incredible impact across the board on our uh, staff and workforce at the front line um 
but I also know that some of the the transformation, particularly around the access to remote working, we've started to see that staff are coming. Our staff are saying it's been liberating. There's some aspects of this that have for people who 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 have found that their work life balance, managing their childcare, care, some of the challenges in their jobs in terms of flexibility that this has given them. Has, has been um, really positive stories coming back. I would like to see a really strong impact on um, our workforce across the board in terms of retention, satisfaction for staff and build on that to make it, a, you know, really improve their working environment. Aid, I know that you were trying to say something. <laughs> Nothing much. I, I was just going to... Uh... You know, once again, Simon said about the, the medicines interop, and that, that's a, you know, that would be wonderful if we could fix that. But as a short term aim, I have quite high hopes this year for uh, the ontology service that, that uh, is being brought in, hopefully, so that we can um, rapidly introduce the use of um, the SNOMED CT encoding into clinical data. And I think that will help us along that that road. John, I have a I have a question specifically for you. Um, If you could have any wish for digital health as in the company for 2021, what would it be? Um, Well, you know, for the pandemic to be sufficiently kind of under control that we can all start meeting in person again would certainly be helpful um, Mm. for all of us. um, And it wouldn't do um, digital health as a company kind of um, any harm. So us be able to run events like the summer school where we can all meet up and share kind of experience and and tales on the amazing stuff that was done um, in 2020. I think would be very, very welcome. Yes. I actually really miss the events. Yeah. And actually to see some mm. of my team again in person. Oh, I don't know about that, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like a good place to wrap up the podcast before I get fired. So Simon, Catherine, Aid, and John, thank you so much for sharing your predictions for 2021 with us. We'll have to keep a close eye on those during the year to see if any of them actually do come true. And of course, thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We are now back to our usual fortnightly publishing schedule on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iTunes. So please do give us a follow on any of those platforms to stay up to date with what we're doing. And if you do want to get in touch with us, you can do so on podcast at digitalhealth.net. That's it for this episode, everyone. We will catch you in two weeks time. Bye.